You're listening to The Dworkin Report, and I'm your host, Scott Dworkin. It was my privilege to speak with Washington Post opinion columnist Jennifer Rubin about the issues of the day about two weeks ago, right before the first round of Democratic debates. My producer, Grant Stern, had just finished interviewing her a couple of weeks earlier for our Meet the Candidates 2020 series of voter guides, and I wanted to hear Jennifer's thoughts on what Dems needed to do to win in 2020 as well as her thoughts on a variety of topics, including America's newly close relationship with toxic Saudi Arabia, and a lot more. But before we start, I'd like to ask you to check out the link to my new book series, Meet the Candidates 2020. The whole series is written by Grant Stern, who also happens to produce this podcast. I'm the series editor, and each book starts with an essay that I've written about each candidate. These books are a wonderful portrait of each candidate, and Grant looks under every rock, search engine, and even into the internet archive to paint that portrait with lots of facts, policy, and the history that you truly need to understand the Democratic candidates for president in 2020. You can find the books at your local bookstore or on Amazon from the link inside this podcast, or you can just check out meetthecandidates2020.com. Our books about Senators Warren, Sanders, and Harris are on the shelves today. Mayor Pete comes out on July 2nd, and Joe Biden next month on the 23rd. Jennifer Rubin ditched the Republican Party in 2016 during the rise of Trump and has strong opinions on what the Democratic candidates need to do to ensure a 2020 election victory. P.S. The cover photo in this story isn't meant to imply that it's anyone on that stage. I also asked Jennifer what she thinks we can do to inform Trump's base voters what her opinion is on impeachment, and on that issue, she offered a novel idea, but one that depends on winning in 2020. Take a listen to my interview with Jennifer Rubin. Jennifer Rubin, thank you for taking the time today. How are you? I'm fine. Nice to be here. So let's get right into it. Uh, You are no longer a member of the Republican Party. Is that correct? That's correct. I left the party in the spring of 2016. Oh, the timing is interesting there. You know, what was the tipping point for you? I think when it became evident that the Republican Party was not going to renounce Donald Trump, but in fact embrace him, that it became clear that I could not be a member of a party that would have me, to quote Groucho Marx, a party that did and continues to support someone who is so obviously racist, authoritarian, attacks the rule of law, attacks the free press, is really a grotesque human being in every sense of the word, I think is unworthy of a great national party. And I think it is irredeemable until they get rid of Donald Trump. Understood. You know, a New York Times reporter tweeted yesterday from Trump's Orlando rally that a campaign insider admitted that they knew that the neo-fascist hate group, the Proud Boys, is an adjunct to their campaign. Uh, What's your opinion about Trump's furtive embrace of of hate? This is the problem that we've seen from day one and one of the reasons I left the Republican Party. They overtly and not so overtly embrace um, the white nationalists. There are not very fine people in a Nazi march in Charlottesville. There are not confessions on both sides. What a weird thing to say about the Central Park Five, the young men who were later exonerated with DNA evidence for a horrible rape crime in New York City. He constantly fans the flames of racism. He plays to white grievance and white fears. 
his treatment of immigrants is an abomination, referring specifically to the separation of children. And this is what he does. It's not incidental to what he does. It's not, well, you have to take the good with the bad. This is his reason for being there. This is his main appeal. And that's why he goes back to the well time and time again on race and on immigration whenever he's in political trouble or fears that he's losing his base. Do you think that he should face impeachment? I mean, I I think he should at least face an inquiry, but that's my personal opinion. What do you think about the impeachment process or like, you know, what, what should he face? Is he going to have to face being voted out in 2020 or what's the reality? Uh, the reality is that he will have to be voted out in 2020 because this United States Senate, um, which cannot stand up to him on uh, most anything, is certainly not going to remove him. So I am sympathetic to Nancy Pelosi's position that if all you're going to do is impeach and then the Senate will acquit, you really do diminish your chances of winning in 2020. And it is absolutely essential, I believe, for the future of the republic that he be removed from office. We can take four years of Donald Trump. We cannot take eight years of Donald Trump. That said, do I think he committed obstruction of justice? Yes. Do I think he committed um Impeachable acts, yes. And I and other people, including uh, Larry Tribe, have suggested other mechanisms by which um, we reinforce the rule of law without falling into this political conundrum. My suggestion, for example, would be to have the full hearings that are going on now, collect all the evidence, and then have the House make a criminal referral to the next administration, which hopefully will be a Democratic one. And by that, they can come to their own conclusion without sending it over to the Senate for acquittal, but they can make their own determination that criminal conduct has occurred, and they can tee it up, as I think Mr. Mueller did, for prosecutors in a future administration. Do you think that a president could be indicted, I mean, based on all the facts and what you see personally? If we didn't have the OLC, the Office of Legal Counsel memo, I definitely think Mueller would have recommended indictment and maybe even with that should have recommended indictment. Uh, Apparently in Mr. Barr's telling, you can recommend indictment, you, you just can't indict, which is an odd interpretation, but I get it. And in retrospect, perhaps Mr. Mueller should have done that. It is a very serious thing, but he has done very serious things to violate the law. And not just one, not just a single lie, not just a single um, incident, but 10, 11 categories of conduct that clearly interfered with, attempted to curtail, attempted to decapitate the Russia investigation. And if we really are a country of laws, we should put our money where our mouth is. The problem here is we have a dysfunctional Senate because we have a dysfunctional Republican Party that sees as their obligation the defense of Donald Trump, not the defense of the Constitution. Right. No, I I, I see that, too. And, And obviously there's been a lot of things going on today in regards to the U.N. report on uh, Jamal Khashoggi. And what did you think about that report on Khashoggi? It's ironic that the United Nations, which has a spotty record at best on human rights and allows characters like Iran to sit on its Human Rights Commission, would be more exacting, more trustworthy and more revealing than the United States government. That's the position we are now in, that the U.N., 
to the best that they were able to determine, has not only um, seen the connection to Crown Prince, but has revealed how grisly and premeditated the crime really was. This was not a kidnapping gone awry. This was not a mistake. This was not individuals acting in a rogue fashion. This was a despicable, grotesque crime committed with the acceptance, indulgence, and uh, probably assistance of the crown prince. And for the UN to be able to say that, and for the United States not to say that, tells us how badly we have lost our moral clout and our moral standing in the world. We are in no position to lecture other countries on human rights abuses and totalitarian governments when we continue to support that regime, when we expect no justice for uh, Jamal Khashoggi, and when, in fact, we continue to support genocide in Yemen, which um, Saudi Arabia is perpetrating. It shows in one small instance how someone who is so lacking in honesty, in credibility, in a sense of right and wrong, can diminish the United States in the world and leave us, frankly, um, at a disadvantage when dealing. This episode is brought to you by ABC. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. Andy finally becomes captain, and she's going to give it her all to be the best leader this station has ever seen. Will she succeed? Get ready for fiery new romances and high adrenaline rescues. Watch the Station 19 season premiere tonight at a new time, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. With authoritarian government. Find out more about Meet the Candidates 2020, my new book series of voter guides authored by Dworkin Report producer Grant Stern. It's the only place you can read my opinion and a factual portrait of each major Democratic candidate in one place. Buy my new book now at the link inside this episode's notes or on Amazon. You can also visit meetthecandidates2020.com. Thanks again for your support. Let's get back to the show. And what is your opinion on the Trump administration's plan to transfer nuclear technology to the Saudis? I really have to ask what they think they're doing. There's a reason that in the past we have not done that. And I see no reason to reverse decades of work to limit the proliferation of nuclear materials and nuclear weapons, to give it to the Saudis, who have proven in Yemen that they are not capable of restraint, who may use that to, in fact, um, create a weapon store. It's no secret that when the Iran deal was concluded, they felt that, or they said, that they might choose to create their own nuclear storehouse. And it's entirely unwarranted. This is the oil capital of the world. They don't need it for energy. And they anything that they do need, they could get fuel, obviously, from other sources for medical use or whatever. So again, this is um, one of those instances in which you shake your head and you think, does he just have horrible judgment? Or is he feathering his own nest because of investments that either he or his son-in-law have in Saudi Arabia? And maybe it's both. Yeah, I, I, I would assume that it's both. Well, just based on what I've what I've seen uh, but how do we get average voters in Trump's party to learn that he's working with these nefarious actors in Saudi Arabia and care? Is there a way to break through his and the GOP's fog of lies? 
I think there was a certain segment of the population, the people who went to that rally, we're speaking the day after the uh, Orlando rally, who are unreachable by any reason, by any facts. Um, And I don't know what percentage of his support is that. They are hopeless. There's no way we can reach them. However, I think what we saw in 2018 is the Democratic Party with mainstream Democratic candidates was able to peel off a lot of people who probably voted for Donald Trump in 2016. These were primarily women in the suburbs, college-educated women. And I think it's a great example of how it is possible for the Democratic Party, um, if they don't blow it in 2020, which I fervently hope they do not, um, given my view of Donald Trump, that it is possible to wean away parts of that alliance. Donald Trump has played only to his base. So he has self-limited the pool of voters who are attracted to him anyway. He's done a lot of the Democrats work for them. And the Democrats have to continue to do that just the way they did in 2018 with mainstream Democratic candidates who weren't talking about impeachment, talking about health care, talking about bread and butter economic issues. And they did it then. And I see absolutely no reason why they can't do it now, um, particularly when they have a base that is as energized as it is. So I think it's hopeless on one hand to try to persuade people who are unpersuadable. On the other hand, it should be a goal, in my opinion, for the Democratic Party to keep those people who perhaps once in their lifetime now, they've been weaned away from the Republican Party. Keeping those people in the Democratic fold is very important. I get to ask this question all the time, speaking of 2020. Who do you think has the best shot of beating Trump in 2020 as of now, based on the candidates that are that are running? You know, I go around and around um, as well. Right now, if you look at the polls, you would say Joe Biden, and that may be the answer. But I would caution people against making a conclusion based on a poll when we've not had a single debate or a single vote cast in any primary. Parties do have a way of coming together. And frankly, I think this party will unite in May or June or whenever it is that they finish their uh, primaries. And then I think you will see those people have exactly the same numbers, if it's not Joe Biden, um, as Joe Biden does. What's critical is that in all these matchup polls, Trump never gets above 42, 43, maybe 44 percent. And the reason that these other candidates go up and down is essentially based on the fact that many aren't very well known. So the number of I don't knows or never heard of is quite high for some of these candidates. So I actually don't think there's a single candidate that can beat him. I have in the back of my mind a couple that wouldn't be a good idea for the Democratic Party and for the health of the, the country and for the cause of luring Republicans to vote. But I actually don't think there's just one person. I guess, Crystal Ball, uh, the second part of it is, how do you think this all ends for Trump and his people? Like, how do you think this ends? Is it just a loss in 2020? Is that the best outlook for Democrats and sane Americans? Yeah, uh, my hope would be, obviously, my fervent hope is that he is voted out. I suspect he'll pull the Jennifer Rubin tactic, which I postulated a few months back, or maybe it was a year ago, that he will leave a half hour before Mr. Pence does. So Mr. Pence can pardon him, at least for federal crimes, therefore uh, keeping uh, the the majority of his uh, liability at bay. Um, He still has state liability to worry about, but I don't put him past him to 
do something like that kind of shenanigans. But as I said, my fervent hope is that he loses in 2020 and loses in such a convincing fashion that there is no doubt as to the victor and, more importantly, that the Republican Party is permanently disabused of the notion that this racist, nationalist, right-wing populism is the way to win elections. Folks can read you in the Washington Post, see you on MSNBC, and follow you online at jrubinblogger, R-U-B-I-N. I want to thank Jennifer Rubin for taking the time to talk to me. And I want to thank our producer, Grant Stern. You can follow him at Grant Stern on Twitter. You can check out our website at dwarfreport.com and our book series, meetthecandidates2020.com. You can support the show at patreon.com slash Report. Become a subscriber. Thanks again for listening. Onward! Onward!